What's going on, freaks? Welcome back to Rabbit Hole Recap with Matt Marty. We're in uh, a new studio here, my apartment. I had a lot of jet lag for my trip over the weekend to Riga, Latvia. Uh, pretty lazy right now, so I invited Matt over to my apartment. Matt, welcome to my abode. How's it going, guys? Marty uh, docks himself a little bit. I'm sitting on his couch right now. I trust you. Can I trust you? Yeah, you should be okay. We'll see. We shall see. Time will tell. Um, yeah, today is September 25th. I'm going to give the date since you freaked out at me last week. Price is about 6400 on on stamp. Been a long week. Been a very long week. Uh, last week, we talked about bug CVE 2018-17144. But at the time that we spoke about it, we had only known about one part of the bug, which was the denial of service attack vector. Uh, since the last episode, we have, uh, become abreast of, uh, a very more serious bug, uh, within that same bug, which is an inflation bug. Uh, and that caused a lot of drama this week. Matt, what are we thinking? Did, uh, did Honeyminer drop us? Do we not have an ad this week? <laughs> they did not drop us. Uh, did you, did you forget to read the ad or are we supposed to just read it in the middle or something? We can read it in the middle or we can do it now. Honeyminer is an app where you can run it on your computer. It mines the most profitable altcoin at any given time. And then they auto-convert it to Bitcoin for you. So you can just keep stacking Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a credible product. Go to honeyminer.com. One-click download. Only available for Windows computers right now. Um, but I saw CoinEasy over the weekend, who is working for Honeyminer. Good friend of mine now. Uh, they're working hard on Linux and OS uh or excuse me, Mac OS implementations. Uh, so they will be out soon. Yeah, Honey Miner, if you're looking to basically turn your uh, leftover computing space or any any GPU space you got sitting around in your house, any old computers, plug them in, download this software, hit a button, and start making Bitcoin immediately. Stack Satoshis. Honeyminer.com. And we'll throw our reference link in the in the show notes. In the bio. If you, if you use that, we get... Uh, Honeyminer makes money by getting an eight percent cut. Mm-hmm. We get a we get ten percent out of out of it. Not comes out of yours. It comes out of of Honeyminer's. Honeyminer's then, yeah, making uh, making very few satoshis, but uh, every satoshi counts. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Matt, and that is what we call in the biz a mid roll read. That was pretty good. I think a, we did pretty good. It was a good mid roll read. Um, speaking of mid roll, Bitcoin uh, is an ongoing system that creates blocks every 10 minutes and uh mid roll for that we discovered it had a pretty critical bug that luckily wasn't exploited so let's talk about the inflation side of the cve-2018-17144 bug that we did not talk about last week right so originally when we when we first talked about this bug it had just it had just been disclosed and um Core devs and, and important community members were urging everyone to update, urging exchanges to update, urging miners to update. And the main reason was denial of service, right? So it was uh, if the offending block went to your node, your node would crash and you'd have to, you have to restart your node. And if you were a miner, uh, it was probably the worst for miners because then you would stop mining the mm-hmm. second they, so you'd have to restart your node and, and then they could do it again. So you'd have to actually patch your node and, and get back up and running. Yeah. And then since then we found out that it also had an inflation component. 
um, that wasn't exploited, but that would allow a malicious miner to inflate the Bitcoin supply. Um, I think it would have been caught. It would have been caught by the the earlier nodes that were yeah, still so that's running a lot of the older d- nodes. A lot of the discussion that's been going on over the last week is like how could this bug have been exploited, and if it was even exploited, how long would uh, the valid block remain before getting reorged around because of the potential for old nodes before zero point one four point zero and other implementations, basically uh, pointing out that 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 bug was sort of invalid and that bitcoins were being printed yeah i think a bunch of us would have noticed right away yeah. um i mean how quick do you get a the patch out and all that going on is a whole nother story you know what exchanges are going to stop trading i don't know it'd be it'd become like a huge uh probably become like a huge clusterfuck yeah uh, uh, but it would get noticed right away and one of the cool things is about running your own node is if you patch if you patch your node with the fix or download the new software which already includes the patch when it when it scans the blockchain like it is actually verifying to you that there's no that it was never exploited yes exactly that was pretty cool so that's how we can tell it's never been exploited uh because since the patch uh version 0.16.3 being released Anybody that's downloaded that, re-downloaded the blockchain history, uh, can tell that it hasn't been exploited because if the, with the patch, if they downloaded the blockchain, it would have shown that, hey, this was a... Yeah, the block would be invalid, so yeah. it, does, it, it wouldn't show. Yeah. No, it would show. It would show a different chain. Really? Yeah, like there would be a different order of events that happened, right? Because there'd be an invalid block in there. But who would be... Nobody knew it was an invalid block at the time, so everybody would have been building on that chain anyway, correct? Well, I think once you do the fix, it would reorg to the the most work valid chain. It'd be too late to reorg to that, wouldn't it? I don't know, but what the point is is that when you... I don't know. What do you mean too late to reorg? Like to reorg, you would have to right but the fact that it isn't reorging shows that it hasn't been that it hasn't so you think okay so you're saying if uh if with the patch the new version discovered that it had been exploited they would then begin to attempt a reorg well let's say it wouldn't happen right away let's say like your favorite block explorer was running the compromised version right yeah so there's exploited inflation in the chain that the block explorer is showing right like blockchain.info right yeah and then you load up the patched version it would be going down the chain and then it would hit the invalid block and from that point on it would be on a different chain than the block explorer or whatever but it's confirming every block that happened after that invalid block on the well, same if there chain? Were, if there weren't miners mining that chain, then it, that would, it would stop there. Okay. Right? Until there was... Because you'd have the invalid block right there in between. So mm-hmm. if all the miners were still following the... That's why... This is the thing. Like, it could be detected. It, it would, would have been detected pretty much right away. But but then you need miners, and, and miners to switch. Otherwise, they're going to be building on top of, of the invalid block. Right? Yeah. 
but as far as the software is concerned, once you have it patched, that invalid block is an invalid block. So all blocks after that block are invalid blocks because they're built on top of an invalid block. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm confused, I guess. Like how... Like the fact that your software opens up and once it rescans the blockchain and everything and verifies all the blocks and you're on the same chain as all the major block explorers and whatnot mm-hmm. and then you know it wasn't exploited. Okay. All right. Learning. Like if if you if you load up the software and it says all is good to go, and then you check other people's public facing software, which is basically what block explorers are, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, it wasn't exploited, so this is like a right interesting hypothetical to go through. On on if you were running old software, right, mm-hmm. and one of these offending blocks happened, the second. Exactly. The second that invalid block gets built on top of, you would be, I'm pretty sure you would be on a fork. Yeah, reorged away. Well, you, you, you would, yeah, you would, your, your node would start showing, your software would start showing the last good block, and it wouldn't be keeping up with, like, all the other block explorers and mm-hmm. stuff that are presumably on newer, on newer node versions. Okay. Yeah. But here, but the thing is, is so right now is a situation where a lot of people that might not have been running nodes before might say like, okay, let me just run a node real quick just to verify for myself. Yeah. Right. So it's the the whole the whole uh, narrative about run your own full node. One of the most important things isn't necessarily that everyone is always running a full node because. Let's be honest, like it's just not realistic to expect every single person using Bitcoin to be running their own full node, but just that they have the ability to run one when necessary. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And that's the beauty of it. And uh, actually, happy you brought that up because Luke Dash Jr., uh, who's a Bitcoin core contributor, uh, I think he was spreading some FUD on Twitter today saying like only 80% of, 80% of nodes, 87% of nodes, excuse me, are still vulnerable to the bug because they haven't upgraded and i think that's a little bit disingenuous because you can't really know that for sure like you could have an old version of the software and patch it yourself without without uh um without downloading the new version of the software uh, and still being on that and on top of that right the patches don't show if you patch it if you patch it it won't it won't show anything different yeah and then Another part, like not all nodes are equal. Uh, the people, like the big economic players, quote unquote, the pool operators, exchanges were yeah, basically exchanges and miners. Yeah, right. Yeah, are the are if, the most important yeah. to upgrade the first. If people as are quick as possible. yeah, exactly. If other nodes are, uh, I mean, the only way to know for sure is to feed that bad boy an invalid block, you know? Like, then you'd see. Yeah. You'd see really quickly which ones which ones have updated and follow follow the valid chain and which ones follow the invalid one. That's interesting. It would have to be a miner, right? Because you have to be a miner to exploit Well, this. I mean, the patch also stops the DOS. So, I mean, you could just... You could, you could do a DOS... Uh, you could exploit the DOS element of it. And yeah. then whichever nodes you knock down, you know, haven't been patched. Yeah, no, it's a 
few interesting rabbit holes you can dive down with hypotheticals in this bug in particular. I think one thing, uh, the emergence of this bug and the subsequent patch and drama has shown that uh, it was a humbling experience, really, right? Like, it, it proves that, hey, uh, these systems are fallible or the people that make up these systems are fallible. Uh, something, some things can slip by and it just sort of reinforced the need to be extra cautious and, uh, and basically verify, not trust, you know? I mean, I think it should be more of a wake up call than it has been. Really? Uh, I mean, a lot of people in the industry have used it to, uh, attack Bitcoin as insecure and to like promote their altcoin projects when in actuality, like. Bitcoiners have been screaming from the rooftops about this for a long time, which is why development moves so slow and conservatively. This is what the whole argument was for the last, you know, three years or whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, scale on second layers, try and keep protocol development to a minimum on on on, on layer one. Not do anything crazy or too fancy, tried and true things uh, with lots and lots of review. I mean, it's the most review in the space. Yeah. Um, so really what you should be saying to yourself is if if the software, if the project that has the most eyes on it, the most review, goes the slowest, implements the most conservative things, can get a bug in it, then every project is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I don't think is news to us, but like it is now it's important to reiterate this and this shows that, right? Yeah, you know? exactly. No, like I said, it like reinforces the need to, to verify... Uh, John Newberry had had a good thread uh, taking self responsibility. We all, as Bitcoiners, should take uh, responsibility. I am John Newberry. I am John Newberry. Well, basically, we what he said John was Newberry. he was like, "I'm to blame for CVE for this for this exploit," and and his point is is that we're all to blame. You know, it's not just on the core devs. This is open source software. Yeah. The the code is out there for all of us. You know, don't trust verify. Um, and, and you need to, it, 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 that's, it, that's part of this. It's been sitting out there for 18 months. You yeah. Know? It's on all of us. Exactly. Out in the wild. No, and the, um, no, we learned other things from disclose about the disclosure and then the responses, res, uh, the res- response system as well with the communication channel. So that was another thing that actually failed is, uh, Brian Bishop explained this at Riga is that uh, the Bitcoin mailing list, they had a problem getting the message out uh, via the mailing list with, just because uh, their mailing server had, had some bug in it or something like that. What, uh, to upgrade? Yeah, so like they were trying to reach out to the mailing list to tell everybody to upgrade, and even that wasn't working. Because um, So see, this is interesting. So, so Bitcoin used to have an alert key where you could send out an alert through the client. And now this is an issue because it introduces centralization, right? So like yeah. who controls the alert key? How do you decide when to tell people to upgrade? It's an attack vector, right? Yeah, what if somebody got control of that and exactly. sent out a fake alert? And it's the same issue with auto updates. That's why a lot of people say, you'll probably hear a lot of people after this say that software should auto update. If there's an important update, you just, you'll, you can get, we won't have 80% of the nodes not updated, right? Because yeah. we'll just push an auto update. And then that's an attack vector. Like, what happens if the auto update adds the inflation instead, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Um, so, I mean, I think that was definitely made sense to get rid of the alert key. Uh, you have a lot of informal, different ways, you know, to communicate with people. Um, 
that are more resilient to kind of like mass social engineering attacks, mm-hmm. uh, including Twitter and Bitcoin Optech and, and just phone calls and emails and exactly. signal messages. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, all of them. Slack groups. Exactly. IRC. IRC, of course, yeah. is always. Yeah. Um, um, no, it was just uh, it really exposed uh, different different parts of Bitcoin as an ecosystem and how we all interact with each other. And I think actually that actually proves that it is truly decentralized and that we were having problems like that. You know, I don't know. It, it wasn't exploited. It was a really good response. Yeah. Um, it was hand, you know, I, I, I like, I like the idea of, of using the DOS vulnerability as a way to try and drum up support to get people to upgrade without playing the hand completely. Yeah. Um, it was a Bitcoin Cash dev who found it, so we should uh, give him a thanks for that. That was and yeah, he all responsibly many. disclosed it, which is good. Yeah, all many, right? Yeah, I mean, I never heard of him before, but no, I don't um, know if that's just a one-time pseudonym or if it's his main name or. Yeah, thank you for that, and I mean, that's I mean, that's the way it should be done. But right? see, but that's that's one of the things. Is like the reason Bitcoin Code has so many. One of the reasons Bitcoin Code has so many eyes on it is because you have all these forks that use Bitcoin's client as as their base, right? Like Litecoin was vulnerable, Bitcoin Cash was vulnerable. So so when you have these bugs in Bitcoin, not only does it affect Bitcoin, it affects a lot of these a lot of these forks. I know Dogecoin wasn't affected because they just haven't had development at all for <laughs> two years. So they, they predated it. They're basically all running old nodes. Um, but their eyes are also on it, right? And yeah. then, and then, ideally, like they'll responsibly disclose that upstream, like like he did. Yeah. Uh, no, it's fascinating how that works, too. Um, and that's yeah, it was a long week. It was a big discussion in Riga. Um, but I kind of think we, of it also like, at least, it's kind of like when you're like your favorite restaurant has like a food poisoning outbreak, <laughs> you know, like it becomes way less likely that there'll be more food poisoning in the near future. Yeah. Because everyone is all of a sudden like way more alert, yeah. you know, yeah. like maybe there's like a little bit of complacency there. I mean, that's kind of what John was talking about, right? Like John was like, I just assumed a lot of these elements were, were, were people or, smarter than me or were more focused than me were looking at them, right? Exactly. And now that element of complacency has been ripped off a little bit. Yeah. Which is always good. No, and it definitely made me think, like, over the weekend, like, maybe there should be, like, a healthy amount of churn in the development at a certain point just so people don't get complacent and and you have a certain level of alertness and awareness and uh, non-complacency. But, yeah, that was one bug. I guess there was another bug discovered this week in Monero. Not Bitcoin, though. Uh, and I guess it was, this was today. disclosed today. Oh, yeah. It was disclosed like four hours ago, yeah. but it was discovered a couple of days ago, I guess. And uh, yeah, well, the exchanges have their Monero wallets offline. I do not too, know too much about the particulars of this bug. You know, I don't know I. if they all have their wallets up because mm-hmm. I because at least according to the disclosure, a lot of the exchanges had already switched before they disclosed it. Yeah, um, because this particular bug. The main attack, the pretty, I think, pretty much the only attack vector is is to attack ex- exchanges and merchants. Yeah. Um, but 
presumably more so exchanges because the idea was you could send a bunch of transactions of Monero to an exchange and only the first transaction would be a valid transaction. All the other transactions would be burnt. So you can send like, I guess the example they used was you could send a thousand XMR to an exchange in a thousand different transactions of one XMR. Mm -hmm. And if you construct it a certain way, the exchange can only access one XMR. Nine, 999 of them would be inaccessible. They would be burnt. And, but their, their wallet would still show that they received a thousand oh. until they went to spend it. And then they would realize they couldn't spend it. And they're just showing. So they would credit it on your account. Then you'd trade it out for Bitcoin or whatever. And then you'd pull it out. And the exchange. So you, it actually costs real Monero to send. You're actually sending real Monero. It's not like you're sending fake coins. But the exchange can't access them. So it's it, just a fuck you. It's just basically. Yeah. I, I guess it's because you're changing at a market rate, basically. So it's just to attack an exchange, like explicitly attack. Wow. Because you'd make just as much money if you sent them That's a thousand cruel. Monero for real that they could spend. That's real cruel. I was. So I think one of the reasons it was an oversight was because, you know, because of that, right? There was not really a financial gain uh, element here. Yeah, it was just a uh, very it's like a fuck. It's a troll. It's a troll bug. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and 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 since they have their like hard fork culture and whatnot, there's no old nodes or anything like that. Any any node pre hard fork it is irrelevant. That seems very particular. Like you only get to keep one Monero, the rest get burned. It seems like somebody would have to, with intent, write that into the code. Or no, it has something to do with like how stealth addresses are handled, okay. and and you have to construct the transaction to like base to to like break that system. Okay. Like, they're specially constructed trends. It's not like you just open your wallet and you can, you know, with the default settings, do it. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So that's an ongoing uh, thing right now. But the, the thing is here is, is, well, they said most exchanges, all the big exchanges have updated. They said no one was exploited. They said the protocol was fine. Worst case scenario, only exchanges got fucked. Yeah. Um, I mean... It's got to hurt Monero in terms of exchanges willing to list them, right? Because yeah. you're in liability. You know, all these... Monero is thought of as more of a premium altcoin project, but, but specifically, like, the shitty tokens and the, and the shit coins, like, are major security vulnerabilities for these exchanges, right? Like, because if they have, um, yeah, tax and whatnot, that leave them holding the bag or their customers holding the bag. Yeah, and they're just naturally the biggest honeypots in right. the space. And they all have to run all the different softwares. They're running, you know, a hundred different wallets. Exactly. I, I would not want to run an exchange. And historically, uh, for you freaks out there, exchanges have been the most vulnerable within the ecosystem. Always. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's pretty much a round robin. There's very few exchanges that have stood the test of time. Um, this is like the strongest class we've ever had. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it really is. And it's been the longest since, like, our last, our last big hack was that Bitfinex one that happened last year in the skated by it yeah i'm trying to think and didn't binance get hacked but they promised to make everybody whole or something like that that was like a trading bot like i'm not counting like the little things okay um yeah that was that was not binance's fault no, it was and binance just was being good guy binance they wanted their customers to be happy okay and they might have reversed some trades to cover some of the losses or whatever 
Right. Um, yeah, so it was a week filled with bugs. But yeah, just bugs can happen in all these projects. I mean, Parity, the the number two reference client. And uh, so like the other thing that a lot of people have been saying is why don't we have multiple reference clients? You know, but then you're splitting up your resources amongst each other. It's way more likely that forks could happen. Mm-hmm. You're going to share a lot of the same code too, probably. Yeah. And then in, with Ethereum, we had the Parity bug. Two, two Parity bugs happened with Multisig last year. And I remember, I'm like pretty sure, like Gavin Wood, that the head dev for Parity, like just merged those things in that caused the bug. Like there was no review process, yeah. you know. And now it's funny, it's ironic because I'm pretty sure he's advising a company that got affected by the bug. And I mean, his own co- the most funds were lost by himself. Yeah, you know. So like at least, like I guess that's a little bit better, right? Yeah, there's a little skin in the game. But uh, like at least he trusted it. But I just there's no perfect solution. You just want to minimize the effect that any bugs have and minimize the amount of bugs that there will be and and just review as much as possible. Be conservative as much as possible. You know, just yeah. billions of dollars at stake. Like, let's... And this really reinforces the uh, the point that that we should aim to get Bitcoin to the point of ossification where the protocol level is sort of, okay, no more upgrades. We're only going to look for bugs and patch them when they're found. Uh so we have a better chance of avoiding uh, bugs via new implementations and, and or excuse me, not new, impl- new implementations, but new versions that may introduce bugs. Right. I mean, that's the ideal. The ideal end goal is, is that you could get to the protocol to a level where like you never have to update the main layer. Right. Yeah. Um, or like not significantly. Yeah. Um, I don't It might that might never be possible, but that's ideal. Ideal. We should try to get as close to that as possible. Uh, which historically people have said is a negative of Bitcoin <laughs> is, is that it moves too slow, right? It's like too close to ossification. Right. But, well, people yeah. don't, don't see the beauty and simplicity, Matt. They really don't. It is pretty cool. They, don't, they don't get that Bitcoin only has to do one thing and do that well. Extremely and well. And if it can do that perfectly well, the value of the system is a lot higher than uh, it's currently being valued at. Damn right. Um, next topic. We missed you and Riga over the weekend. Uh, uh, Norwegian fucked me. I had everything planned. I'm so sorry, dude. That's a kick of the dick. Yeah, I was I was bummed all all weekend watching the live stream. Explain it's to the freaks the what happened. So, so I just we you know I had everything planned. I had my hotels. I had my connecting flights and everything. And I was flying Norwegian. And they just delayed, 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 and then they they canceled on me. And and the worst part was like I had a, I bought new connecting flights because of the delay, and then by the time they canceled on me, I just it was like twenty five hundred euro to get there, and I would have been like a ha- like a day late. I would have missed like the first half of the conference. So I was just like, too, that's too expensive. That's ridiculous. I'd rather I'd rather buy some Bitcoin. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Sorry, dude. But I but the nice thing is they put on one of the best live streams. That it was just it was quality. They just and they they uploaded them all the day after, so you have a full video that just you know no ads basically straight just straight through. You can jump around wherever you want. Uh, we'll put links to those in the bio. Uh, and uh, and Brian uh, transcribed a bunch of the talks yeah. too, so you can read them if you if if that. I went over to better. I went over to like look over his shoulder to watch him type. Like one of the one of the speeches, I think it was Elizabeth Starks. Actually, I'm not sure if it was that one, but that the how that dude can type so fucking fast, it's it's believable. And to have the the ability to 
to transcribe while you're listening, I would never be able to do it. Someone uh, on my feed, because I linked to his transcripts, they asked him uh, what brand coffee he was he was taking because they wanted to, wanted to get the coffee, and he's like, it's Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the transcripts are great. They made it way easier to, to digest. Um, yeah, but I mean, the part that I missed out on is I wanted to, you know, see everybody and yeah, it was good. Shit and it was good meeting everybody. That's like the beautiful thing about the stuff. You talk to people around the world. You converse with them uh, via Telegram, Twitter DM, whatever it may be, and then you finally meet them in person. It's like you already know each other. It's uh, and it's cool. You feel that camaraderie like immediately. It's an it's easy icebreaker too. You know. Um, but you were missed. Uh, a lot of people said they were sad you couldn't make it. Yeah, I wanted to do, uh, at, the, at the last episode, I said we had a surprise for you guys. I wanted to do, like, a panel show in Riga. Yeah. That would have been hard, actually. What I found when I got there is, like, I wanted to listen to the talks. I, didn't want to, I, would, have, I would have had to record during all the talks. So I only got, like, 45 minutes of content over the weekend. No, I mean, you listened to the talks, and then the reason, and then you got really drunk afterwards. Yeah, that happened. Right, yeah. So, like, if you just, like, mixed in mics... With the drunk part afterwards, like it, interesting things would have happened. Yeah, it would have been a logistical nightmare, though. Right, you just yeah. needed me to. You needed me to to, to lightly, make it happen. Slightly push us in that direction. Nah, I probably just would have gotten drunk anyway. Yeah, but onto the talks. Uh, you watched the live stream. What was your favorite? I I mean, I really liked I really liked uh, Lobs talk. Oh my god, it was hilarious because he made me feel a little bit less paranoid. Was uh, it? Was that because he wants to be able to have his identity in the open, but just be secure on the back end? No, because I thought I was paranoid, and then I saw his talk, <laughs> and you know some of the things he was saying. You know, I don't, I don't know, like having your cable under a different name. Yeah, and then he was like, "That that was the kicker for me." He was like, "But then when you want to go get your driver's license." You don't have utility bills with your address and your name on it, which is what they use as residency proof, right? Mm -hmm. So he's like, so then you have to get like a neighbor or like rent an RV in an RV park and then get those utilities to your name and then bring those to the driver's license. And like, there's no way he didn't do that. Like, he absolutely, (laughs) right? Like, how do you, how do you work through that unless you actually fucking did it? Uh, the incredible thing about that speech, I was like right after that lunch break that day and like everybody was like there was a problem on day one of people like talking in the back uh, and it was like sort of distracting uh, for people who were giving presentations. But everybody was still hanging around talking like after the lunch and then Lopkit got on stage, Jameson, and the intro he gave was just like so captivating. Everybody immediately sat down, shut the hell up <laughs> within like 30 seconds. It was That's hilarious. fantastic. Um, now, that was a good speech. One of my favorites, safe gave a good speech and sort of uh um save dina moose author of the book bitcoin standard and he sort of uh he talked about the bitcoin standard but uh added to some of his points one of which he made was sort of analogizing federal federal reserve banks as gold full nodes uh and i think that's a very good framing when you're trying to explain bitcoin to uh to newcomers and, yeah that's interesting and sort of being able to compare uh, a quasi full node system in the traditional banking system to Bitcoin's full node system and point out how Bitcoin is is massively more decentralized. Yeah, I mean, it's only, it's like delegate proof of stake more is what it would be. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. But like Safe doesn't, he, he doesn't, doesn't even, look at the shit coins. <laughs> he, he doesn't, doesn't even know, know what that yeah, means. Yeah. He is probably the better analogy. Yeah. Um, 
So that's like, that, but was, that was a great talk. Yeah. yeah, that was a great talk. Eric Vaskill's talk, a lead maintainer of the Bitcoin first talk of the weekend. I think he did a really good job basically breaking it, Bitcoin down to its simplest form. It is a market of miners and users and participants um, and merchants. He described them as. Um, and I think he, he yeah, I talked to him uh, like after day one of the conference, we, we were in like a group of five guys and he was just uh, explaining his beliefs and why he's into Bitcoin and what he's doing at Lib Bitcoin. It was fascinating. He's, he's pure man. He's a pure anarchist. Yeah, that talk was that talk was something else. Yeah. Um, and then what else did I like? Uh, Nick's was good. Yeah, and Nick Carter. Yeah, too. yeah, we'd be, it'd re, be remiss of us if we didn't mention that talk. I mean, and it, I think his talk is very important. We should start uh, start signal boosting this talk because it is very important that we do start to use correct metrics when when trying to value these systems. And I think what he proposed on Sunday what is very makes a lot of sense the thermo cap is pretty cool yeah and then what was the other one the realize realize cap was really realize cool. cap so the thermo cap is measuring the value based on when each bitcoin was mined and what the value was at that point yes right because that shows inflows into bitcoin through actual investment. mining investment right yeah. and then the the realize cap was basing it off of when bitcoins when each bitcoin last moved mm -hmm. and then the value at that point right yes and what uh what as opposed to market cap which exactly. is just amount of coins that exist right now times the price. the price yeah or times the price excuse me and it, it re he really pointed out that that is pretty stupid to value uh value like we currently are and what the realized market cap really does is is it really proves how valueless these shit coins are. Like he, he used Bitcoin private as an example and it's, it, it, I think it, it had a market cap of 110. Yeah. Because like no one even dumped their coins. Yeah, exactly. Like I didn't go access my Bitcoin private. Like I, I guess I, I still own a lot of Bitcoin private then, but uh, we, we haven't even touched it. Right. So like yeah. don't count my shit towards the value. I mean, it's, the, the prevalence of market cap in the industry is because of two reasons. It's because of laziness. Like, it'd be absolutely annoying unless you're Nick to, like... I mean, he measured it for Bitcoin, right? And he measured it for, like, a couple other forks and altcoins, right? But, like, imagine measuring it for the 1,600 different coins that CoinMarketCap lists. Like, that's a lot of numbers you got to go through. That's a lot of data you have to go through. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if CoinMetrics, you know, Nick's site does that mm -hmm. because they're just fucking badass and they <laughs> like that kind of thing. But uh, up until this point, like, laziness was, like, a lot of the reason. Yeah. And then the second reason is because, like, you needed a measure to show, like, how much... Like, we were talking about unit bias, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it was the easiest way to show that, you know, how, if Ripple has billions of coins... You know, if Ripple has 100 billion coins in in existence, like, Ripple's not cheap because the price is low, right? Yeah, and exactly. Like, and the market cap does get that kind of, that gets that point across, like, pretty yeah. well. Yeah. Um, no, so that was a great talk. Um, gave out his dice, his FUD dice. Yeah, we have one of the dice here. One of the die here. Uh, it was very fun die. playing with that throughout the weekend. Yeah, it's the multiple, multiple dice is We watched that dice get born on Telegram. Yeah, we did. Um, 
see i'm trying to think of what other talks really stuck out to me in particular uh the hodo hodo or the hodo hodo guys the uh the uh host of the conference i think that what they're doing is really interesting uh especially with their house hodo product um and what they're about to roll out uh they're gonna have smart contracts uh have a smart contract uh product coming out and then a futures contract as well on top of uh their product uh, house hodl it's i mean what hodl hodl is like a semi semi decentralized exchange is the idea it's, it's like p2p p2p yeah and then house hodl is like they the might same act- idea but they add a house on one side of it and they add yeah they, they add act bitcoin as, on the other side yeah i think they act as like i think they're what they support escrow. litecoin too what uh i think they might yeah. yeah um yeah so that was uh that was interesting to see uh, How about the stuff you know that we didn't see on the live stream? Did anything interesting happen uh, that we weren't able to catch in the transcripts or the video? No, I mean it was just like it was just like, like I wrote about it yesterday in the newsletter. Uh, sort of reflections on it. it was just like the vibes were like very high. Like outside of the conference, everybody just went to continue talking about everything and the types of conversations that were going around. Like there was everybody hung out outside of the warehouse where the conference was held for a few hours every day and we're just shooting the shit yeah i really like the founding fathers uh <laughs> metaphor you used it really gave yeah. me a massive amount of uh fomo <laughs> it's true though it was just people drinking and playing out uh these thought experiments of what we can do with bitcoin especially since the bug had just happened too yeah. like that's how you know those conversations were like top-notch oh they were they were it was just like everybody think of every single attack vector that bitcoin yeah. has and how you might attack it and how you would defend it and then talking about my lot, favorite part of this space it was a lot of talk about like when governments start attacking like eric basically kicked off that that sort of line of thinking with the first speech of the weekend where he's like governments are going to attack and as long as bitcoin enables the black market it is successful yeah this is the peace period yeah um we haven't seen anything so there's a lot of people sort of preparing for a hypothetical future in which those attacks start happening and and what we can do now and to begin preparing for that which is very important to start thinking of and then yeah once we moved away from the warehouse yeah we went to the bars and <laughs> continued talking about the shit i ended up the bars are really cool looking with like all the bricks and the old the old bars yeah oh ass. yeah they were awesome like riga, lot, just riga, riga is a beautiful city it reminded me a lot of uh spain actually the way like the the streets and the back roads were were constructed not completely like it but similar vibe um i'm not as well traveled as i like to be either but it was cool to see he's obviously been to spain <laughs> <laughs> um Funny story. I, I puked on uh, on the flight from uh, Tallinn, Tallinn, Estonia to Riga. We were on some pond hopper, and I just got motion sickness. It was bad. You weren't with Corallo at that point, right? No, you no. just puked all by yourself. All by yeah. myself in the seat, or did you did, did not make it to the bathroom? I had a barf bag though. Yeah, it was only a, a little bit. It wasn't too much. It was a bit embarrassing though. His dedication. Yeah, his dedication. Is. What was it? it? Was like a twenty-hour trip you took, right? Ended up being like yeah, like eighteen hours. Like your flight was delayed or canceled. Uh, the initial flight from JFK got delayed, which Fucked made me miss my connection, so I had to rebook my connection. But like, what was it? Finnair, Finnair, like hooked you up, right? Yeah, Finnair, Qual Airline, Qual Airline, excuse me. Um, would recommend Finnair. Had a good Finair. experience. Use Finnair, not Norwegian. Yeah, I'm gonna use Norwegian if they give me a credit. They haven't given me a credit yet, but well, I'll use them until I have <laughs> no credit. Never what, again. The Wi-Fi over Greenland is terrible, though. So if you're looking to use Wi-Fi on a... That's just impressive. You had Wi-Fi over transatlantic flight in the first place. Right, exactly. That's just cool. I was getting angry at one point, and I thought of that Louis C.K. joke where he makes fun of people that are pissed that Wi-Fi isn't working in there, and it really 
really brought me back. What I thought me. was it was like a really simple thing, but I thought it was really cool was that, you know, like I was barbecuing on Saturday, like all bummed out, like a little bitch uh, about not being in, in Riga. And I'm barbecuing and I'm, I'm watching the talks that you're watching live on my phone in like the best quality ever. It's like a small mm-hmm. screen, but like the best fucking quality ever. And then I like pop out of that and it goes into picture in picture mode. It's still showing on my screen and I jump into telegram and then I say something to you guys who are sitting in the actual conference room. And then I like pop back into the video all while I'm just like chilling there in my backyard. Like that's <laughs> fucking badass. We live in a crazy world, Matt. And that's such a simple thing that, you know, you just take for granted. You don't even really think about it. That exactly. Much. Exactly. We are lucky to have this stuff. Could be taken away. In one moment, you had like a little solar flare fucks up the whole grid. I mean, if Google decided that we weren't allowed to watch that on YouTube, like that's that. Like that's you don't even need a fucking solar flare, right? That's true. So you need censorship resistance. Yeah, Google's getting weird, man. Getting weird. I'm a little torn because I'm a. I I have I have shares of Google. Full disclosure. Thank you for disclosing that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. One of my bags. That's another. I mean, that's another thing. We gotta. We gotta threat threat model that stuff too all the big tech is basically just an extension of the state at this point and it's not even their own fault it's just because they're centralized it's the way the regulatory structure works they have to be it's capture yeah there's just nothing you can do about it if they want to be in business then they have to play ball exactly I mean like Apple's like fought back a decent amount but you know who who the hell knows they've given they've shown a valiant effort to presumably privacy yeah it appears that way Yeah. yeah um no, it was it was uh it was an awesome weekend in Riga. Uh shout out to Hada Hoddle for for organizing it. Very high quality, low signal to noise ratio. Um obviously there were some talks that like, hey, I already know all this, but it's good to refresh fresh your memory and stuff like that. And and then again, meeting the people, uh meeting everybody uh, sort of that you've conversed with, you only know them as like random like cartoon pictures on the internet. Uh and you meet them in person, and and it's like it's like you've been lifelong friends. Get Did, a little uh, cheesy there. I uh, I successfully gave away both my conference tickets to good on you Latvian locals. Good on you. I, did either of them buy you the beer they told me they were going to buy you? No, they did not. Yeah. So I've got somebody to track down. I was a little beer. bit cavalier about it. I was like. When you see Marty bent there, like you got to give him, you got to buy him a beer. You got to buy him a beer. That's like the deal. Mm-hmm. And like, they don't fucking know what you look like. Why? why, why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, who they? But, you know, I was just feeling good about it. So I told him to do that. It's better than two tickets going to waste. First, I tried to sell them and I was going to donate them to uh, BTC Ven, the, the Venezuela soup kitchen uh, uh, Bitcoin charity. That would have been cool. Yeah, but no one, no one, no bit, one was biting. So then I gave them away. It's sort of hard to... to book a last minute trip to Riga the day of. It was like six hours. That's why the local Latvians was a good, was, I think was, it was a good call. Yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a very good call. Did they get back to you? Did they, they actually end up going? Yeah. They had a great time. Awesome. They both had a great time. Um, yeah. So overall great conference. Uh, like you said, the conversations were, were very intriguing, uh, especially due to the, the bug. Um, and I think, uh, I think it, it it was cool just to sort of reinforce, I don't want to say the mission, but like the reason why I'm in this in particular really sort of reinvigorated the drive I have to sort of make Bitcoin a thing and 
and uh, just to know that there are other people out there who are just as passionate was uh, was cool to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, you're bent uh, yesterday, I guess. Was it yesterday? So yeah. it, it just got me fucking pumped. Let's <laughs> <Just> fucking go. <laughs> right? No, like I said, these are the type of people I would ride or die with. Like, just great people. Yeah, good people all around. And horrible people, but mostly great people. Yeah, and it's not. This isn't saying that. We use, this space has the it has the best of the best and the worst of the worst. <laughs> it's true. It's, it's true. the beauty of it. But we're not saying there aren't good people in other projects either. Oh no, that's what I'm saying. This space in general, yeah. I think, has the best of the best and the yeah. worst of the worst. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So cool event. I mean, even uh, if they don't admit it, a lot of them are Bitcoiners as well. Most of them are. They do uh, admit it, at least to me. Some uh, of the biggest Ethereum fans I know will admit that their portfolio. I mean, the way they bought the Ethereum in the first place was often with Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, but they are. They very easily admit that their yeah, biggest huge holdings Ethereum are Bitcoin. Pumpers and they have thirty percent Ethereum. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Uh, so, where do you want to go from here? You want to talk about Argentina a little bit? Yeah, we could talk about Argentina. You, you covered that a little bit in your newsletter. Yeah, morning. talked about it in the newsletter today, and it's, I, don't know, I think it's just like sort of something went under the radar. Uh, the last three days in particular was funny. It started with a Santiago Siri tweet where he posted a picture of uh, somebody. It was a butcher in, shop. A right? butcher shop in Argentina pricing their meat and bitcoins. At the same time, you have the Argentinian pesos experiencing an, yet another bout of hyperinflation. Uh, the next day after Santiago tweeted that out, uh, a headline dropped down my tweet deck. Uh, Argentina is looking to extend its credit line with the IMF. They just took out a credit with the IMF, I believe, in the beginning of the summer, uh, a year after taking or issuing 100-year treasury bonds. So their currency is obviously in dire straits. And then today, uh, a headline runs down my tweet deck. Uh, Argentinian, Argentinian Central Bank, uh, the head of the Argentinian Central Bank, steps down. Like he resigned. Um, so things aren't aren't going good there. And I think this is yet another example. We're talking we talk about Venezuela a lot, uh, where Bitcoin can step in. Again, it's not a panacea, but it's obviously a tool that people are using down there. At least there's one anecdotal data point. Um, so, and I think, like we've said in the past, it's countries like Argentina, like Venezuela that may begin this this revolution you know yeah i mean this is basically going to be a a reoccurring reoccurring segment very sad but it's just gonna as this podcast evolves it's just going to be us saying the same exact thing we're reporting like the different news. country with a different country <laughs> but with the same exact talking points um you know if, if you got to trust your government with your money and your government's not good with your money like that's what happens right yeah like just to sum it and let's uh, shout out Santiago Siri here. Uh, and my favorite, my favorite tweet in that thread was, was I'm long Bitcoin because I think it can save my country. Yeah, Santi's poetic man. How can you not? How can you not relate to that? And let's give a shout out to Santi. He's going to the upper echelons of the Argentinian political political system, something he used to be a part of, and really advocating for them to adopt Bitcoin, at least in some fashion. Um, so that's a high leverage act any Bitcoiner can do. So shout out Santi. The other thing, and he was on the pot. He was on. You interviewed him too. Yeah, I listened to that. Yeah, yeah, he's like, he was like. So if you go back, if you if you don't remember it or you didn't listen to it, you can you can scroll back and he's he's there. He's in TFTC. Yeah, he was uh, he was one of my first interviews. I was lucky to get him on early on. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan. Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he's doing some high leverage actions right now with the Argentinian government. That who knows who knows. And he's if, all over the media, especially like local media and Latin yeah. American media. 
I uh, the other thing he mentioned was that is that Butcher was pricing it in, in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. He was accepting other current cryptocurrencies, but it was priced yeah. in Bitcoin. There's a couple different. I, I think it was like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Litecoin. and Dash. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but he priced it out in those currencies. He was it wasn't priced out in Argentinian pesos and then converted right. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how that that's like a mental thing. That the next jump for Bitcoin is is when people start. What's the unit of account? Once yeah, once you start thinking in your head that right, it's like uh, yeah, like, I'm it's like when you talk about a foreign language, like oh, I think in English and then I'm converting it into Spanish versus I'm just thinking in Spanish, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Very good way to put it. Yeah, I've never I've never heard that one. I like that. I mean, I just know because I yeah. always have to think in English before I speak in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> it's very me, slow. Me too. Me hablo muy muy poquito te hablas español eh? me llamo Matt <laughs> see I like that very good um yeah so, quiero, honey miner so slowly but surely um the reason for bitcoin uh governments mishandling cryptocurrencies continues to happen and more and more governments fall prey to uh well he's actually trying to get Argent- Argentina to adopt in the reserves right I think so yeah yeah um so like that's even like you don't even have to own Bitcoin as an Argentinian. Like if they start stockpiling it in the reserves, like yeah, could be good for um, all Argentinians. That's interesting. It'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see if they do that because Safe was saying in his they talk won't. over the weekend that central banks probably would. Oh, not. I disagreed with that portion. Did you? Why? Let's yeah. uh. So Safe was saying why not? Because it sort of destroys their whole purpose of being. I think was his argument. Or but like adapt or die, right? Yeah. They hold gold. Yeah. So why why wouldn't they hold Bitcoin? It's a good question. I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't fault them for holding Bitcoin. Yeah, I I, I think the first step will be will be be them buying Bitcoin and then the second step after that will be them being irrelevant anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or like mostly irrelevant. I like those steps. I don't disagree. I just I just think that the first country to like start, you know, accumulating Bitcoin for their reserves that's major will create a chain reaction that will automatically make them a shit ton of money. Right? Right. So who's gonna do it? Yeah. You know? <laughs> exactly. And especially if the leader Somebody's gonna capitulate like, at some point. All those leaders that are in charge of either the central banks or like the sovereign wealth funds or like the president you will go down in history no but they'll also they, if they own bitcoin then it's even more of a reason for them to do it right exactly it creates like this perverse incentive to Is, to pump the price yeah satoshi created a beautiful incentive system here yeah and it's going to happen at some point potentially yeah i mean even if you think that's a bad thing that it creates this incentive that every bitcoin holder you know, wants to promote Bitcoin and increase Bitcoin ownership so that their Bitcoin goes up in value. Like, you can think that's a bad thing, but if you accept that that's a thing, then, you know, the value prop of investing in Bitcoin goes up substantially. Yeah, I actually actually had a conversation with Jameson Lopp about that where he's saying, like, there probably won't be legislation against Bitcoin because there's a good chance that some politicians already own Bitcoin and they're disincentivized. Well, we already know some do. Yeah. Because they had to disclose. Yeah, yeah. But there's definitely some that are not even disclosing, right? I would imagine. 
Does Trump own Bitcoin? I bet he does. Uh, Donald's going to say Bitcoin leading up to the 2020 election, putting a 70% uh, guarantee on that. But, but That's wait, actually an oxymoron. There's no 70 percent chance on that on, happening. On, on him doing what? On him saying Bitcoin leading up to the 2020 election. It's just Bitcoin. Is he going to tweet it? Is he going to say it in a speech? We might get might get the elusive Donald Trump. It Bitcoin won't be tweet. blockchain. It'll be he's going to say Bitcoin. If he's chat enough, he will. Well, if, I mean, look. If he tweets out, if he just tweeted out the word Bitcoin, the price doubles, right? Like instantly. You think so? Yeah, I, I, I really, I really do. Like, why? Like, imagine if the most powerful person in the in in the West in the world, the most powerful person in the world, tweets anything about Bitcoin. It's gonna be, it's gonna be crazy. What if he has a series of tweets? He has Bitcoin, one word. Next tweet is is like three hours later. Oh my god! And then the next tweet is bad. so much volatility. <laughs> 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 well, that would be like that. That'd be the true, the true, the true uh, money maker, right? Yeah. Then you go long. Oh, I then think you go short. I think it's inevitable. It's Le- banned. <laughs> I forget who tweeted this out first and put the incepted the idea into my mind, but like I've been thinking about it more. Just like leading up to the twenty twenty election, it's going to be like the May, May before the election is going to be the next, next having, yeah. and it's like what is like? There's going to be so many narratives around that. Can't wait to hear them. Yeah, the next having's already. It's already coming up. Yeah. In Bitcoin years, it'll be like 20 years from now, though. Right. Exactly. This has been a long year already. This has been a very long year. We're almost, we're like, we're like 80% done with it, 70% done with it or something. I think so. Yeah. We're rolling in October here. Um, so what else do we have? Do we have, so Argentina's, and Argentina, I think like every 15 years or so goes through one of these, right? It's like yeah, pretty bad. yeah, it's been it's like historically. Cyclical. Yeah, Latin America in general is you know Europe and America really fucked them in a lot of ways. Yeah, like when Santi they've came, never been able to dig out of it. When Santi came on my podcast, he described how he vividly remembers as a kid, like uh, people getting paid and immediately running to the grocery store to buy food before the prices changed and stuff like right. that. But so this is the first time that Bitcoin exists exactly. during it, which is which is you know game changer. Yeah. Especially if you're like a, I keep going back to it too. Is like if you're like because it's a, it's an internet currency. If you're a coder or web designer, or or if you sell sheep's wool, you know, or something, I don't know. Like you can you can actually participate in international markets, right? And and sell your goods and services for Bitcoin, regardless of 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 your government's competence. Like why should your government's competence matter in that, in that regard? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Enabling people to join the global economy. Just download a wallet, people send them an, send an address and then send the goods. Um, last topic. Uh, I think this was a funny, we'll end on a lighthearted note. thought I saw a funny tweet, a uh, parody dev tweeting out, uh, please stop deploying D apps to Ethereum. Uh, we are we are running at capacity. Uh, so an Ethereum dev trying to tell people not to use Ethereum. Uh, you call them dApps? He he announced them dda or or d slash apps d slash apps. I've always said dApps. I've said dApps, dApps too. DApps laps. We got the lightning apps, the dApps laps. I don't know. I wanted to quote him correctly, so I said dApps. Okay, that's fair. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm not. You think he's being serious? I mean, I think. 
I mean, he's. I mean, he's got a point. It's not really. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you can't run these things at scale. So, yeah. I mean, you it, could, if you want to test it out or whatever, it reminded me of Vlad's tweet early last year. I don't know if you remember. I remember this that early most 2000. responsible tweet ever. Yeah, right? nobody listened to him. What was it? What was it? Uh, I believe it was something along the lines of Ethereum is still beta, exper- right? still experimental technology, not ready for mission critical apps. Right. It was like the price was thirteen dollars. or yeah, something, Yeah, right? and it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, no, it was around twenty dollars. Yeah, I remember like quoting, like quote tweeting that like two months later, and the price was like one hundred twenty dollars or something. Yeah. I mean, him and Vitalik sold a bunch, I think, around there, too, because like, they actually believed it like they weren't. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Like, markets are irrational. Um, but, yeah, I, I just thought it was reminiscent of that. It's funny that Vlad said that at $20. I mean, $20. we say that, too. Everyone says that, right? I mean, yeah. except, like, the ultimate shitcoin pumpers. Like, we, like, don't invest what you can't afford to lose. Like, it could be gone tomorrow. Yeah. Like, especially if... Like, it matters what your risk profile is. Like, if you're keeping it on exchanges and stuff, even more likely, you know. But, no, that but was, even if you have it in cold storage, like, who the fuck knows, you know. No, and that was another uh, another topic of conversation over the weekend at Riga, too, is especially with this bug uh, making everybody more aware. We are aware that, hey, Bitcoin's not a foregone conclusion. Uh, it's not a successful experiment yet. Um, and it is a possibility that it may not succeed in the long run. So definitely keep that in the back of your mind as you're making investment decisions. Um, Meanwhile, the price of Bitcoin pumped after the disclosure. <laughs> right. Uh, substantially. Yeah. So like if you like entered a short position because you found out the bug was being disclosed, you got burnt. Um, last year, both parity bugs were followed by Ethereum going up in price because I remember shouting at the charts. Um, which is why also I wasn't surprised when it went up this time. I was like, you never fucking know it. You know, it's like <laughs> ridiculous. And uh, I mean, Monero was up today, so I don't know. But like the insiders weren't trading on it, you know, and, and bringing the price down. So like if you, I mean, I, well, I don't even know what the market is really. I mean, the mark, maybe the market is saying, you know, that that the res, it was it was handled extremely responsibly. And I mean, it was right. Yeah. Uh, But like short term, the market doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. And I think long term, even a bug of this magnitude, you're just talking. You're first of all, you're not talking Bitcoin zero. No, Um, you're talking a clusterfuck that would probably result in exchanges stop trading. And then you'd have like a situation where like they come back online within a day. And then, like, the price, like, immediately falls by, like, a couple thousand dollars or something. Um, and it sets us back. You know, it sets us back a year or two or whatever. Yeah, we're lucky that bug wasn't exploited. Yeah, but you still have the habit. I mean, look, we had the most eyes in the space looking at it. We had, we had some of the smartest minds in the space, like, really focusing on it and, and looking at the code and all the code. And they didn't spot it for 18 months, right? So, like, the chances of someone who doesn't like Bitcoin or wants to see Bitcoin fail discovering this bug or a bug of this scale is is probably reduced um, because they just don't surround themselves in it enough, right? Mm-hmm. And And that's why the game theory, the loose game theory that's happening at the same time of, as all of this 
like really matters, right? Like if you're a major miner or a major Bitcoin holder or, or if you just love it, you know, you're not going to you're not going to do something that's that's like super. Like even uh, the the Bcash dev that that donated, he wasn't that that disclosed it. He gave a donation address. Yeah. You know, so like he wasn't against making money for it, but he didn't want to fuck over you know bitcoin right because he loved it so much that's why he's looking at the code all the time and knows so much you know and is and studying it and caught the bug in the first place right exactly no and uh that's something that vladimir the one of the maintainers was pontificating about online was that we should be donating to these people and maybe that's another thing that was announced over the weekend is the b foundation maybe we should talk about that for a little bit too Ooh, people go both ways on that yeah yeah, people That's go pretty both divisive. Ways. Like it's better if we just ignore the divisive stuff so no one gets angry at us. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I'm kidding. We would never do that. But uh, no, there, uh, it really highlights the need, not only for protocol development, but uh, sort of incentivization for protocol development, but for testing and reviewing. Wait, so let's talk about this B Foundation. Let's right? talk so about. So who, who? I was actually recording with somebody. You didn't watch it. I wasn't. I was. I didn't hear it live, but I spoke. So I, I, was, I was. I was here and I saw it. <laughs> what did you think? Yeah. So what, hearing it live. So let's describe it first. I like face palmed a little bit. Okay, so, but I think it's probably. I don't know. I wouldn't do it if I was them. But like, Bitcoin's immune to bullshit. So exactly, so, it doesn't matter in the long. So I don't think if if you if you think they could be a threat to Bitcoin, then you have very low. Uh, thoughts of bitcoin to begin with like i don't think that 12 people creating a foundation becomes a threat to bitcoin it becomes a threat to their reputation for sure yeah uh so we had the bitcoin foundation that was founded um 2012 12 13 like maybe yeah uh, not 13 maybe it was it was 12 or 11 anyway it was founded by a bunch of scammers yeah. already they were already like what like carpolis was on it the mount gox guy was was Jeb Gavin? On it? Gavin Jeb might have been on it. Uh, Jeff Garzik was on it, I think, at one point. But anyway, they all ended up. The thing is, is like these foundations tend to attract ego well, heads, right? Yeah, they attack ego heads. And what went wrong with the original Bitcoin Foundation was the mismanagement of funds. These guys were just taking. It was John Matonis who was taking like elaborate. Uh, John Matonis. He was taking uh, like elaborate. Brock trips. was on it. The yeah. EOS guy. Yeah, and uh, they weren't very transparent with how the funds were being spent. They were using it for their own advantage. Uh, and so over the weekend, uh, Giacomo, uh, Elena... S- and they used it to launch their own projects and stuff too, right? Like like we had Bruce Fenton even, like who's, who's probably one of the more respected people from the Bitcoin from foundation. the Bitcoin foundation, particularly because he came in later on and like put in a lot of his own money to kind of just try and like write the it, ship. Yeah. Right. And he wasn't able to, but even him, like he's long, he's like, he's like a major part of Ravencoin right now. Right. So like they tend to, and particularly because they have this ego and this platform, they tend to end up launching yeah. uh, their own projects. So with money. the foundation that was announced over the weekend, I spoke to Jameson about it. He's, he's a member um, or involved with it. Yeah, can we list who's in it? Uh, Jameson Lop, Giacomo, Stark, right? Uh, Elizabeth Stark, Elena, um, Whale Pandas, Whale Pandas in it. I'm trying to think of who else. Again, I didn't see the t- I didn't see the talk. I was recording, so that's that's a good number. Okay, so you're talking to Jameson about it. Yeah, go on. No, and they're going to be. I mean, so number one, I think 
most people are perturbed at the thought of a foundation, like the word foundation in particular. And I like that they didn't use Bitcoin, in it, yeah. or they just called it B. They didn't call it BTC, yeah. Bitcoin, nothing. It was just the B foundation. It, but the thing people have to realize that it, it is it is technically a foundation for like tax purposes and stuff like that so that they can organize in a certain way and distribute funds a certain way. Right. Um, they had something similar last year they structure. announced, which was the BHB Association, right? Yeah. Which had a, a slightly worse structure, they were saying, right? Yeah. That, that the foundation lets them do more. Exactly. With the funds and properly. And they're very transparent in that they're going to be transparent with the funds. Like You can set up Bitcoin wallets and lightning nodes that show transactions that are, uh, you're basically, you allow your node to be transparent in what you're doing with the funds that are running through it. Um, and they're basically just going to invest in, try to invest in developers, uh, projects that are working on the UI and user experience and education, I believe in marketing, marketing. Well. Yeah. The marketing is iffy. that's the one that everyone's worried about the most, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. Like I said, I think it's more risk for their individual reputations. Yeah. Uh, they also have the benefit that they learned from what the Bitcoin Foundation did wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin was way more nascent back then. Now it's way bigger economy, way bigger industry. Uh, so there's they're less likely to take such an author- authoritative role, mm-hmm. especially since the people in this I respect way more to begin with. And they all have their own side gigs already going on that are all pretty much Bitcoin related and solely Bitcoin focused. And relatively successful as well. Right. So like when they get quoted in in like the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or something, it's not going to say like Jameson Lopp, like chairman of the B Foundation, right? Like it'll say, you know. CTO of CASA. CASA HODL, right? Like that'll probably be what it says. And even just the fact that it's just the B and not BTC or Bitcoin, like makes that quotableness like less... Uh, ideally, like it'd be great if we actually had, you know, like twenty-five foundations focused on this stuff. Yeah, and then you wouldn't have to worry about any individual one, and we'd get tons of development funds getting moved all around, you know, independently. And is it really any different than what some? A company like Chaincode is doing, whereas Chaincode is solely focusing on right. I developing. think it's just it's because they're thinking foundation. I, the marketing that's why the marketing is an issue. Yeah, you know that's why because it's like, don't tell me what Bitcoin is. Right. You know you don't get to decide what big, especially since like, everyone is still really sore about like the last couple of years where there's been, uh, you know the so-called store value thesis versus payment system the, yeah coffee coffees for payment versus store for venezuelans right yeah. like uh and that's a very much a marketing thing yeah yes yeah, so it'll be interesting i wish them well i do respect yeah i, I, I do I, respect everybody involved i would love if it goes great and maybe yeah they are putting their reputations on the line so i think they're gonna they're gonna act uh to preserve those reputations i would argue and it's just donation based only. They don't have like that whole membership structure that they had with the Bitcoin Foundation. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the B Foundation is now a thing, and I think they're actually open to changing the name just so people aren't so butthurt. I kind of like the name. I mean, what else are you gonna do? Foundation's gonna be in the name regardless because that's the organizational structure they need. <laughs> yeah. And that's the part that's triggering everyone. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So like, what are you gonna call it? the foundation? Yeah. I bet. Even, even if you called it the foundation, people would be pissed. If uh, if the Bitcoin Foundation was never a thing, I don't think people would be as pissed. Do you? 
Or, well, you have the yeah, Ethereum Yeah, I mean, but foundation. it's always going to be there no matter what, right? I mean, people are okay with the Ethereum Foundation. No, I mean, not the same people that are complaining about the Bitcoin Foundation complain about the Ethereum Foundation. That's true. And then you have a subset like me that complain about the Ethereum Foundation, but but then, you know, <laughs> but then don't necessarily be like, oh, the B Foundation will give them the benefit of the doubt and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I just, I think, I think that Bitcoin's a fucking honey badger. And, you know, if, if you think that 12 people deciding to launch a foundation uh, can cripple it, then, like, first of all, where were you the last two years? And second of all, like, you probably shouldn't own any Bitcoin because there's no future for it. Exactly. It's a very good point. Um, yeah, so I think that's all we have to talk about. You want to add anything else? I don't think so. I don't either. Do we know how long we how, how long we ran? We're uh, an hour and eight and a half minutes in. Did we say the price? The price was sixty four hundred. Sixty four. I think it's still around there. I don't know for sure. Um, yeah, so that was a weekend. It was a long week, tough week. I think it was very uh, sobering week for most people. Very humbling. Uh, and again, I, after especially after this weekend going to Riga, I'm I'm very invigorated right now. Feeling very invigorated about the, the mission of Bitcoin and and the people involved in particular. I still can't believe it pumped after the. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm, I. That's why I wanted to go. I mean, when I read your, when I read your bent, I was just like, I was so pumped, and I just that's why I wanted to go. It, that's because it's not even necessarily about the talks, the speeches. It's about all the little conversations that happen on the side. Yeah, it's really cool. The people you meet along the way. It's really pure. Some ride or die, ma- some ride or die, fucking legends in this community. I'm like fully lounged out on Marty's couch right now. I've slowly gotten more comfortable as, <laughs> yeah, as you the look pod, like you're about to light a cig. As, as the pod has continued, <laughs> I'm like a model over here. Like Burt Reynolds looking on the uh, <laughs> laying on the the uh, the bear skin, except you have your clothes on. Rest in peace, Burt Reynolds. That was recently. Um, we're gonna end on that. Let's pour some out for Burt. Uh, we'll see you freaks next week. Take care, guys. <laughs>